Welcome to another edition of the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles topics such as why do you like Bitcoin now and the 50-year mortgage. Plus, Philip hosts a special one-on-one interview with personal finance trailblazer Sharita M. Humphrey. And now... Here's Philip. We have a guest today again, y'all. This is, I think I'm gonna start bringing back guests every every so often because I feel like the same thing, I'm saying the same thing every single week. Although, by the way, I think I should. I think I think if I did a podcast every week where I just said the same thing, like what happens at church on Sunday, I think it'd still be useful because most of the principles are not being used in investing and financial planning, but to entertain some that don't want that and will find that extremely boring. I'm going to have different guests on, talk talk about different things. Some will talk about the same things that I'll talk about as a different point of view. And some will just be random stuff that I just like and want to discuss that has nothing to do with money or finance. But this specific episode, I have Sharita Humphrey on. She is a personal finance expert. She speaks to companies, conferences about money, finance. Think of it different from a financial advisor and more like a Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman. She's a a Houston-based Susie Orman, but she speaks all over. So we've been following her for a while, and I think she does some good work and has some good ideas. So I wanted to have her on my interview with her. Well, she's on now, actually, uh, but I'll be getting deep into it, conversation with her later. But Sharita, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself for the audience before we get into the first questions. Thank you for having me, Philip. First of all, I am excited to be here. Um, what you're doing, um, you are my my go-to um, financial advisor. This is why I'm always sending and tagging you, especially on social media, when it's those areas where you are the expert. So great. Thank you. I look forward to this interview and sharing what I know. And thank you for that awesome introduction. I love that. I love to be amongst those, those greats who went before me. So just being my own financial trailblazer in my own way. I like it. I like it. Current trend. So what's what's the current market trend based on what I'm looking at? I still think we're in a recession. And when I say think, I mean my trend, my process still says we're in a recession. Uh, there's a whole lot that goes into why, but that's where the trend is. So that's that's where we are. First question that I had this week, and Sharita, feel free to jump in and give your thoughts on the question before we get to the interview part. Um, these are these are questions that I get throughout the week from typically like conversation with clients or just people with Facebook or whatever. And I'm like, oh, OK, if that person asked this question, then it's probably a lot of people who have the same question. But I was talking with somebody and the question they asked was, Philip, why do you like Bitcoin now? The background is I told them, like, I own some Bitcoin ETF and I'm about to start putting some in a wallet once I figure out how to keep everything relatively secure. And and they were like, well, why do you why do you like Bitcoin now when you were so against it in 2017? I was like, well, because in 2017 it was clearly a mania, right? It was there there were people that didn't invest, didn't know what they're doing, had zero financial experience, that were rabid and you know, just saying Bitcoin's best thing since sliced bread. Then you look at the actual chart; it it looked like uh, you can go back at every bubble. And the charts almost all look the same, and that chart looked the same. And I was like, "Listen," uh, and, and one of the things I never said was, "The Bitcoin is going to go away." Like one of the common misperceptions people think is, "It's a good investment because it's never going to go away." No, that's that's not. You know, Amazon was a terrible investment in '99, even though people thought it was going to still be around. 
even if Bitcoin survived, there's a good time to buy and a good time not to buy. When it was like rising rapidly and people who didn't know what they were talking about talking about buying it, which is which I call the shoe shine boy principle, right? The shoe shine boy principle comes back from a story around the 1929 stock crash where this successful Wall Street investor, uh, his shoe shine boy was telling him about buying stocks and he saw that everybody was insanely, you know, buying up stocks. And whenever the shoe shine boy or people who don't know what they're talking about are talking about buying something and they're talking about it aggressively and confidently like they know what they're talking about, that's when you know, okay, I know, I don't know what's going to be the best investment, but I know what the worst one is, right? And you can look at every bubble and it has the same characteristics. Railroads, back in the day, the gold rush, stocks in 29, Japanese stocks in the late 80s, right? Gold in the late 70s, right? Tech stocks in the late 90s. Uh, you know, we had crypto that you guys could, or Bitcoin that you guys could see in 27, 2017, 2018. Then you had cannabis stocks, right? You know, so uh, it's a principle that goes back. You can, I can even go back to the tulip mania back in the 1600s, but it's just a principle where if everybody is loving it, then just like stay away from it. So going back to why I like Bitcoin now, it dropped 89% from where it was at the end of 2017 or 2018 or whatever that time period was. And so that was kind of a, you know, one of the factors you look at. And then one of the other factors is the fact that we hit this coronavirus deal and governments around the world start printing money like it's going out of style. And so you just realize, let's do the math. This stuff is not going to get paid back. And we have new currency systems every, you know, 50 to 100 years. Currency systems meaning, you know, you, you go from the British pound being the reserve currency to the dollar. Before that, it was the Dutch, whatever it was called. And so you have that system. So you're like, well, man. The young tech people who have money, they trust Bitcoin over gold, right? I don't think gold is going away. I think gold is going to be a great store of value and people don't trust paper money, but it's a low risk bet, right? It's it's relatively cheap relative to what it should be if the whole system breaks down and people actually like Bitcoin. And so I'm like, hey, this is like an option, you know, and if anybody ever bought options, you know, it's a little bit of premium to get a big upside if you're right. And so for me, it's like it just it just makes sense to own a little bit of it right now, especially when it's relatively cheap compared to the beginning phases of governments printing money stupidly, right, and the dollar going down in value over time. So, you know, I like gold. Um, I like I like Bitcoin, I like gold better right now, but it's it's absolutely a part of the portfolio. And that's the reason. Any thoughts on that, Sharita? I'm glad that you kind of discussed this because that's something that people have been asking me about. And of course, now I can tell them um, to listen to this interview because that they were like, okay, so we're running out of money. Like they're just printing money. What is, what is happening here? And a lot of people, especially my clients are like, I don't think we're going to be able to pay this back. So I love that you're talking about Bitcoin again, because even for me, I was just like, is this something that I want to look at right now? But yeah, definitely you have me more interested in what Bitcoin is doing now. Good to hear. I got to try to get a decent pulse to the market but that's why that's why these questions are so great because i get to people like asking them like oh yeah this is not me making up a question because i'm like a nerd like i'm i'm thinking about stuff that regular people aren't thinking about i need to <laughs> i didn't talk about what regular folks are thinking about so thanks <laughs> thanks for the confirmation the 50 year mortgage here's some history behind that and and do your research because the actual numbers might be a bit different, and I'm fuzzy on that, but this is this is just truth, right? So whenever there's a lot of debt in the system, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, I'm pretty sure I have, but you had, 
you know, back in the day, we're supposed to observe the year of Jubilee, right? The year of Jubilee is every 50 to 70 years or so. Human beings, we borrow too much money and the disparity of wealth gets real big. In order to fix it, you have the year of Jubilee where you forgave all debts and the rich got less rich, but the poor owed less money and everybody was happy and you avoided all this kind of stuff. Now, there's no actual evidence in history that people actually did this, but this is like in a Jewish law, like old school Jewish law that was like uh, written out, which you're supposed to supposed to practice. And the Bible mentions it multiple times, right? And if you really understand the context of history and religions and when they came about, typically religions came after big debt blowups and people were like, hey, let's put some rules in place so that society can function and we don't have these big blowups. But we keep doing it over and over and over again. That's a whole other story. Since we don't do the year of Jubilee, we have these situations where we get into big old debts. And what actually happens is countries intentionally do everything they can to manage their debt because you, you start getting periods where rates start going down because of deflation and deflation is just there's just the growth is slowing there's too much debt right you know if somebody has a lot of debt they may grow their business initially if they have a business by borrowing money and investing in and grow but at some point um you have so much debt that you don't have that much cash flow to reinvest into productive things especially if you've invested in unproductive things and so you start to uh grow slow so i'm saying think of think of companies like at&t or whatever where they're just big heavily indebted and don't grow much and so economies do that as well and so what ends up happening is in order to pay the debt and since they're not going to forgive it like they should but in order to pay the debt they start extending maturities right so that's that's when you see there's like a, if you google 100 year bond it's some country that has like a 100 year bond right now around the great depression was when we started looking at um the, with the new deal that's when these 30 year mortgages came to be right borrowing money for 30 years used to like that that sounded like 50 years to us today, right? Way back in the day. Right. If, if The same way we say a 50-year mortgage or a 60-year mortgage, that sounds crazy, Philip. That's how a 30-year mortgage sounded back in the day when the new deal was, was set into place. And so the same thing happens over and over and over again. And I could, I could see us waking up 10 years from now and saying, oh, yeah, I got a 60-year mortgage, right? Because, it, it, you know, it just... <laughs> they're not going to forgive the debt. So in order to, wow. to manage it better, they're just going to extend the maturities of, of the debts owed for governments, for mortgages, because, because the system that we built, this capitalist dollar-based system, works off debt, right? People, it, you got to have a lot of debt, and income growth is not growing because it's still skewed towards the, towards the wealthy. And that's not a political statement, it's just a fact. And so in order to get consumers to buy so companies can keep making money, selling and growing, and they can pay their taxes and the government can pay down all this debt. They got to figure out how do we get them to pay more debt? Well, we got to fix cash flow. Well, how do you fix cash flow? Well, we just extend the payments, you know, so that way we at least get our money. We'll accept the lower return over a longer period of time because rates are lower, but we'll get our money and everybody is somewhat happy is the is the thought process uh, around that. So just don't be shocked if we start seeing 50-year mortgages um, sometime here in the near future. Any thoughts on that, Sharita? Wow. <laughs> I guess that, I mean, 30 years is already a long time, but just just what you said, it seems like unreal, like to be able to see 60 months, but who would have thought that we'd see right now just in the uh, auto industry that 
people are paying 84 months for a vehicle. So I'm, I don't think it's too far off from what you're saying. It's definitely going to happen. Um, but it's just like, wow, 60 years, even even if you start in your 20s. Oh, wow. That just seems like so unheard of. But I can see definitely this creeping up. Um, and you're absolutely right. There has to be some type of balance. And so this would be the most obvious way to do that. But yeah, I just it just when you said it, it's realistic. But it's also like, wow, <laughs> this right. is 60 years. I'm like, I. I'm like, I haven't even been on the planet. Like, you're just like, wow, <laughs> am I going to be paying for this for 60 years? Which, of course, you can always pay things off early. But how likely is that? Um, you know, we do have those with the Dave Ramsey's. They go through the process and they pay off the home. But the majority of consumers are paying over time because they're refinancing and all of those things. So, yes. Wow. that You're giving me a lot to think about, a lot to kind of talk about, write about, because I, I love to write financial content. So I believe this is an a, amazing conversation to continue to have, Philip, because you have me speechless just thinking about that number. Yep. Go go down the rabbit trail. You will be shocked. You'll be like, you'll be like <laughs> man, there is a hundred year bond. And yeah, he, yeah. Wow. This is it's like, it's like crazy stuff, but let's get on a topic that, 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 that you came on to speak about. And, um, okay. and it's, it's marriage and money. So just so everybody knows, yes. just so everybody knows, your your husband's name is Quincy, right? Yes. And, and how long have y'all been married? Yes. We have been married four years as of a couple of weeks ago. That, that is amazing. Congratulations. Happy. Thank you. Happy, happy, <laughs> happy late anniversary. And, I, and yes. is Quincy a money nerd like you? Of course not. Okay. So, so, <laughs> that no, was really happy. Listen, I figured, no, I figured that was the case. <laughs> Money nerds don't marry money nerds. I didn't marry no. a money nerd. It's very rare. <laughs> if you find one, I think you should definitely bring them back on because um, I'd love to listen to that interview as well. But yeah, normally I'm, I was, what did he always tell me? Um, you're a super saver. That was like one of our first conversations when we were dating. And he was one of those type of people who had that YOLO, you only live once <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, trying to mesh those two things definitely um, has been a journey. But what he likes to call my side of being the money, you know, the money nerd. He's like, I kind of stepping over and enjoying the, the wild side. <laughs> so, yeah, it takes it's a process. It, 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 we didn't get here <laughs> overnight. It adds balance, right? Adds balance. Yes. My, my, my wife balances me out. And that's kind of why I want to have you on because I figured that because when I advise people, couples it's always the case that one person is good with money one isn't the other and the conflict is how do they create a system which is kind of what i help with but how do they create a system that they both enjoy you know so like what what are some things that y'all have done to bring y'all's two different philosophies together to accomplish all the amazing things you and maybe let's start here because you got a pretty good story so let's talk about like your journey of how you had your financial victories, what those victories are, and then how you and Quincy work together to make it happen? I would like to say, I say this to everybody, um, I am my family's financial trailblazer. Um, and so I say that because I'm the I'm the, the money nerd who just stepped out on faith. Um, and I didn't come from a home where we had money conversations, um, didn't leave the home with a lot of money knowledge, or even just financial knowledge on how to get through. I, a lot of it, I know what I teach people across the country is from 
education experience. And what you say, you you know, uh, and really being able to follow those like yourself, Philip, to be able to mesh those things and bring them together. Um, just a little backstory so people will know that this has truly been a journey. Um, I shared with the world recently via BBC and my partnership itself that this young woman was homeless before with two kids. Mm -hmm. And so I understand what it's like to lose absolutely everything that you own. But on the other side of that, I am in a position where now I am financially free. I run a country, I run a company where I'm able to employ others who have a desire just like myself to help people across the country. Um, become their own family's financial trailblazers. So just coming in and with that, I was able to walk away from my government job. I had a cushy job. You know how you got a job on your dream, on your on your bucket list. I was just like, if I get this job, I'm retiring. <laughs> this is my retirement plan. I'm going to stick with the government. And that's what I thought. That's what I wanted to do. But as I started to go out and do several, you know, audit everything from your mom and pops to your mid-sized businesses to your global companies, I, also, I got to see that so many small business owners were hurting. And a lot of times is they were robbing Peter to pay payroll. And so, of course, you get into compliance issues um, like that very quickly. And a lot of small business owners across this country, they can't take those um non-compliant fees or late payments, not doing this because it starts to add up and they are already trying to get, trying to make ends meet and make the business profitable already. So for me, I just, I remember my last audit. I hope they're listening to this because I try to say it on everything. I thank them for entrusting me to help them. Um, and I, and they were my final case. I will not forget this couple because they put $500,000 of their own hard-earned money into a business and they lost it unfortunately mm -hmm. and one of the things they're like well we didn't know how important personal finances is um and that's the foundation to especially um, to growing a successful business because you don't need you you don't you already have a business budget and then you have your personal budget you got mm -hmm. your personal finances it becomes a lot especially when you become a business owner and they unfortunately lost that and just looking at that married couple it just put put so much together for me because I, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but what do I do? What skill set did I have? And so one of the things was to teach people what I knew. And I shared everything on social media. Everybody got to see me lose it all. They saw me at 342, but they saw me build my credit scores to eight in the 840s. So for me, I said, you know what? I'm going to take what the knowledge that I know and help as many people as I can. And I laid out a thing where I said, I want to help a thousand people um, become financial trailblazers. It just started to catch on, Philip. That's what it was. And it was always inside of me. That's why it's always important when you're married or if you're dating to ask those important questions, because I didn't know this was inside of me. I just liked my, my government job. And when I was dating my husband, he's like, you're going to do something great. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I said, I, I hope so. But if not, I, I got my bucket list job. But to circle back to that, the reason why I mentioned that is because it is so, so, so vital. I remember our first date. <laughs> He's going to kill me. <laughs> I asked him what his credit scores were. <laughs> I said, like, do you know your FICO scores? <laughs> and he was just like, well, yeah, because I'm already, he was already in the process of purchasing a home and doing all of those things. And so he said, it's just so funny. No woman's ever asked me such such questions like this. Like at first I was just like, uh, probably step. I'm like, 
probably went too far, but that was important to me because I knew the goals that I had for myself individually. And I just wanted to make sure that I was going to be with someone who under, who could we could build together. And it's not just about building things or buying things. It's truly being able to build a legacy of our own level of wealth. So that, because we're not going to be here forever, but I wanted to be able to enjoy life with someone who understood how important um, money management and doing things that I didn't see in my family um, to be able to create those with someone. And so was it a, what is it? Was it a journey? Yes, because my husband was one of those type of people who were like, look, if I got it, I'm gonna buy it. I don't care. <laughs> and so I'm like, wait, how much is that? Like, did, did you put that in? I, we, I, I gave I made him a whole Excel spreadsheet while we were dating. Track your track your spending, do all these things. And so, of course, was it a struggle? He's just like, why are you, you know, why? Why is this necessary? I make enough money. I do this. And I said, you know what? Because you have more than you make more than it's very important to where you can create something different outside of material things. So we had several conversations. Um, we started to do our budgets. Even when we were just dating, I was showing them how to budget and how to put things in place, how to start couponing, tracking his spending. So it became a thing for us. Like we've started to have budget date days and date nights. Um, just because I told him, I said, you know what? I want it to be a principle that we for, we always remember to keep dating each other, but to also combat what takes most marriages down. When we started to get more um, closer to being engaged, we really started to push, you know, have more conversation. Was he resistant? <laughs> Philip, I love him to death, but he's just like, oh my gosh, you got color code a spreadsheet <laughs> you got a file folder with my name on it and all this type of stuff yes I'm I'm truly a money nerd y'all don't judge me <laughs> but I but I think he appreciates what that has done for us from a financial because I told him in this business in 2021 I will be able to retire who's an electrical engineer and he can enjoy, he can join me in the business um just because of what we've put together and I would have never thought that I would, you know, I told him, I'm not going to tell you today. I'm just going to come to your office and Texas are at will state. <laughs> so you can leave at any time. It's a common courtesy to give two weeks notice. But I say, you know what? I'm going to retire my husband. That's the one of the greatest gifts that I can give to him. So that way he can do the things that he, he wants to do because there's certain things in his life that he wants to do. But we focused a lot on getting out of, you know, making sure we reduced our debt, increased our credit scores, started to be able to, you know, build things for our little one. My little one is a four, is four. You can interview him. He is a mini me. <laughs> we were, he's a part of this business. He, all of the time he's been out of school, he's been doing things for me because we, um, as you learn, you teach. And so I didn't have these money principles taught to me. So I'm making it um, a staple in my home that I teach our four-year-old because I want him to be able to take this business um, and really be able to know how to run it and be a part of it. So we include him, our four-year-old, on every other Sunday. We have a budget, family budget talks, and we include him. Even though he's four years old, I tell people they're sponges. Mm -hmm. And you know this, Philip. This is a, a prime time when they're small to be able to teach them just simple 
money management, savings, how the importance of giving, what does that look like? So this is where I say I do it from, I teach from a very holistic approach. It has nothing to do with religion. It's just, you have to be able to teach all of the things. You can't just teach them how to budget. How do you manage it? How to write a checkbook? What do you do? What a bank account looks like? He's four. I make him go into the bank with me. He gives his money to the bank teller Hmm. because I want that to become one with him. And so Marriage is, I still feel like we're dating because we're taking the one thing off of the table, um, which is um, finances um, and financial stress because we prepared ourselves prior to getting made, saying I do. So that's why if I say anything, if anybody's listening, I highly encourage premarital sessions, premarital counseling. It is something that's needed. It's a defense. My husband and I have the, the very same same month, the month after we got married, we went into marriage counseling and everybody's like, y'all just got married. Is everything okay? Yes. I said, we, I told him, I said that we can't look at marriage counseling as a problem. It's preventative. It's preventative. And then, so that's, and I said, we talk about, I said, we talk about money things. I remember the first time that we talked about it, we were like, okay, we paid cash for the wedding. We wrote the, our uh, marriage, I mean, our counselor, our therapist, she said, you know what, write your goals out on the board. She had a whiteboard in there and we could, we had to turn our backs to each other because one board's on one side and the other side. And so she said, okay, let's talk about it. Let's come back to the middle. So don't just let the premarital counseling, especially be something that you guys don't continue after it, because those are going to be the things that's going to safeguard your marriage against the number one reason for divorce, finances. So if I can tell anyone anything else, those are preventative measures outside of you doing budgeting, talking, having money conversations, doing the things, inviting the children, if you have children, into those um, money conversations. Just doing the preventative things and really having conversations is one of the things that I've noticed. I can teach everybody how to budget like a boss, how to, you know, save like a superstar. I can teach you all of that. But the things that you have to do outside of those things are going to be the preventative things as far as continuing those conversations and talking about it. You guys may never become on the same page when it comes to something, but you have to meet and have a happy medium. Um, And budget conversations don't have to be, okay, we got to do this or you messed up here. No, there are just for you guys to be able to come back to the table to figure out what do we do need to do next to get into a position where we're creating our own level of wealth. It doesn't have to look like everyone else. I tell my clients all the time, don't let the internet rush you or your marriage, especially when it comes to your money. Because a lot of people are looking at other people and their marriages and what they make and all of this, but they're not, you don't see all the debt that may be behind that. You don't see the marital fights. You don't see the strife and all of those things. So I appreciate you as from a financial, being a financial advisor, even having this type of conversation, because I think it's certainly needed, especially during the pandemic, um, when finance, the lack of finances is at an all-time high. This may be a controversial, that was all good stuff, but I'm curious, I'm curious your your thoughts here, because you kind of hit something on the nail, like you try to get it right on the front end, there's people that didn't get right on the front end, and and I I got a weird mindset, right? I got I have a weird mindset, like I have certain principles that are indisputable or irrefutable or whatever the whatever the word is. I'm a, I'm a math guy. I don't know words, but whatever the word is, 
that I just stand on. I don't have a lot, but the ones that I do have, like I tend to stick to. And one of them is I'm just not going to be broke, period. And so my wife and I had the conversation on the front end, on the front end about it, and she knew my goals. And like you said, it wasn't a straight line journey. It wasn't a, a pretty journey. It was stressful at times. You know what I'm saying? We we coming up on 12 years on Sunday, but 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 the cool part was on the front end. Like my wife had big goals. She was ambitious. She was. You know, she wasn't bad with money. She actually was maybe slightly above average, but she's an artist. You know, like she doesn't track stuff. And we definitely wanted to be smart with money. And so along the way, she's come. But but the point is, my mindset has always been, you know, even the t- even in the times where it was frustrating, it was kind of like, okay, like if, if, if it ever got to a point to where I felt like uh, we were going to be broke, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know how you meet some people where one person is just not moving and they just won't follow the plan? And so you're you're gonna be broke. Like that wasn't me. I was like, I'll divorce you. You know, like I'll divorce somebody instead of being broke. You know, because I feel like I'm just not gonna be broke. Like, so what are your thoughts around it? Are 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 you similar? Is that something that you? Because you really can't give that advice, right? That's just tough advice to say divorce them. But I'm just like, I'm almost like if you're gonna if somebody's in your way and they are, and you've done everything possible, like you're not arguing with them. You're saying let's go to counseling. You're you're picking up all the slack. You're making it easy, and they are just like running up credit cards behind your back and just making it tough. I'm like, man, that's I'm, okay, cool. I'm about to, I can be broke by myself, but I'm not gonna be broke with you. Okay, so we both think different. <laughs> yeah, we both think the same way because I am a person that you know. I, my, my husband says you're very analytical. <laughs> He's just like you look at the big picture, and I'm all about giving chances. Let's talk about it, but. People don't realize that financial instability is real. <laughs> That's a real thing. Google that. That and so, if a person just can't get over certain things, behaviors, personalities, because everybody has a money personality. That's why I was like, if you want it while you're dating or before you get engaged, Google money personality. Talk about that. But back to your question. Um, to answer your question, I'm with you. Um, I. I've been homeless. So, so broke was, was something I've done. I'm past that. And so I'm not going to let anyone's behavior, personality, you know, whatever they have attached to them, hold me back from the things. And I, I'm like you, I can't go back to being broke. And I made that very clear to my husband in the beginning. Um, I can, I'm here for life. But I'm and I'm your wife, but I'm also a whole person. I was a whole person before I met. And that kind of makes that kind of steps on a lot of people's toes when I say that I was whole healed and whole before I met him. Uh, I had my own coin before I met him. (laughs) And so for me, I just knew I had to have someone in my life who understood that I can't be broke with you. (laughs) That's just I can't do it. And, and you know why? Because I'm not going to be true to myself and be happy. I'm not going to be happy and it's not going to be a happy place for you. Can we work this out? Yes, I'm all about trying to figure things out. But at some point you get to see someone and if they're not willing to change, you can't change a person. You can't, you, as much as I see so many couples and so many people contact me, like I am ready to leave but I am trying to do everything we've lost everything I mean they gambling the home you know the home in Vegas they with you know took from the kids um college funds I'm pretty sure Philip you've heard it all at what at what point that is misery Mm -hmm. and 
in misery likes company, but you don't have to be in a company with them. It, it, so it, it, not exactly. to say, not to take away from it. I'm not, I am an advocate for marriage. I am team marriage all the way. Marriage is a gift, but you also have to be able to be realistic and, and know that sometimes is you may not be with the person who is supposed to be with you on your destiny. Some people just can't do that. And it's unfortunate, but you have to be able to know what your, um, I like what Russell Wilson said. He, there was must haves that he had and he, those things had to be checked off and those things he wouldn't compromise on. And so you have to be able to be in a position to be okay with that. And everybody may not think like Philip and I, but um, you, you only do this thing life one time and you want to do it in a way that's um, enjoyable for you. And if you can't do that with somebody because they are not in a position to be able to maintain financially, it's going to be a struggle. And this is why a lot of divorces, uh, 50% of divorces happen because of finance, um, because sometimes it's some people's had, you know, they financially just had enough. Here's one last question before we wrap up. I think this is also good to talk about. And typically what happens with men, because I personally believe like just law of average, like I think 50%, if I had to pick a number, 50% of men, you know, are good at money. 50% of women are good at money in, in, in a marriage or if it's, you know, women marrying men, you know, I just if it's two women and two men, same thing. My point is, I think men and women are equally, uh, you, you can have one partner, whether they're men or women who are equally good at money and the other one may not be as good with with money right typically uh and and the caveat is i'm I'm starting with that premise but i tend to believe women are kind of naturally better at money than men because y'all are more humble and all that kind of stuff but let's just stick with that principle for a second because where i'm going is i'll hear the men saying you know well philip man we would we would have more money if my wife didn't blah 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 or you know they they blame the wife right because of because and i'm like man that's a cop out and they're like what do you mean i say listen man are you doing everything that you need to be doing? Like, are you, if if you're the leader in the money thing, like you say you are, which means you have the desire more, you're quote unquote better with money. Let me see your budget. Let me see mm-hmm. your process. Let me see where you're holding back. Meaning, and I'm, and I'm, I'm getting to a question, but meaning in order to get my wife on, on the page with me, I had to... You know, if, if we if we get it on a scale of one to ten, right, I had to be at like a ten while she was at a five, which means when it came to spending discretionarily, like she got 90 percent of the money. You know what I mean? Like and I got nothing because I'm like, I'm like, cool, I don't need anything because I'd rather I stick to the budget. You know what I'm saying? Like I gave up a lot to bring her to to, to the side because I'm like, listen, like it's, it's not about being fair. It's about accomplishing the goal. So. If, if you're here and I'm not, I'll give up. And then what happened over time was she came to my page, to my side, because she's like, well, man, I'm I'm tired of getting great gifts on Mother's Day and birthday, and you're getting like these average gifts. I mean, she never said that, but you know what I'm saying? But over time, I was able to win her over because I gave first, because I was the leader. You know what I'm saying? Like, a leader is not, to me, dictating this is how things are going to go. A leader is, how do I get them on my side in a non-argumentative type way? But, like, what were some of the things you did to get Quincy further along, you know, with you? I think just being able to show him um, in black and white what this would look like um, and what, how his bank accounts and investments accounts and all these things could possibly look like um, just in black and white. Sometimes 
some people are visual. And so he's a very visual person. So for me, I knew that that was going to be one of the ways for me to be able to get him to kind of, you know, come over, join, <laughs> join the, the money side over here and just being able to lay that out. And he's like, hmm, just being able to not just always think because a lot of times some of our spouses can think, oh, you think you know everything. So just being able to also attach um, certain articles and different things like that um, with what I was showing him was other things that I was able to do because sometimes it's, it's hard for our spouses sometimes for them to kind of just see where we're coming from. And that's just human nature. People who are closest to us tend to be the last ones to jump on board. So you, can't, and so, you can't be a prophet in your own hometown. Yeah, it can't be. <laughs> and so just being able for him to do it. And sometimes is you have to be the one to be the financial trailblazer. I said, you know what? I'm going to get as close to 850 as possible. I'm going to have this amount of money saved. And even, and I started to do it. And he's, you know, like, what did you say? His eyes started to peak, like, okay, because it sometimes is you can, you just have to stop talking and you have to just start implementing. And so that's what I did. And then he was just like, how are you doing this? What, what are you, who, what are you reading? What are you implementing? And so those are the things that I had to do. I had to do like a combination, of, but I didn't, I didn't continue to nag him on, okay, this is why you should do it. This is what you do. Cause it was only going to be frustrating to me. So I started to do the things that I was telling him and letting him see the benefits of what I was doing and how we were both benefiting from what I was doing. So just imagine what our efforts would be, what our efforts would look, our efforts would be if we both did it together. And so that was a way for me to have him to jump on board with while we talked those things out during counseling. Um, and we still do, and we still go actually today, we speak with our counselor today, <laughs> this afternoon, um, just to do quarterly, you know, just to do a quarterly check-in with her. But those are the things that I did and I highly recommend. Don't feel like you're just dragging this person along because I'm really sure, Philip, you have this thing too where you hear it. Well, one of the spouses is like, mm, I don't really just know about that. But does that mean that that person should stop and not do it at all? It, no. Someone has to be the, the sound mind and, to, and, and allow the other person to see what you're doing. And sometimes that's the best thing that you can do um, if you feel like you're just not getting the person's not coming on board. If you know this is something that is important to you, then do it anyway. No, I like I like that. I think that's the case with any any aspect of marriage. Because when it comes to cleaning, my wife had to live with me for <laughs> seven years before I woke up and smelled the roses. I just you know, I was like, uh, before I really started helping because I, you know, I don't yeah. That's that's a whole story. So it you know, <laughs> we we all got our strengths and weaknesses. And yeah. uh, mom, mom was money, but like organizing and cleaning all that, I was like, you know, she was the MVP for a long time on that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> she was the cleaning MVP. Uh, I love it. Yeah. 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 But you understand that. Yeah. Sometimes as you, and now I'm pretty sure she really appreciates your, you know, you coming on board and, um, you know, helping out there. It's small thing. It may not happen overnight and I think that's what a lot of expectations when it comes money in a marriage is that this person okay you had the money aha and then this this on this particular Friday and Saturday you want the person to be on board I, I think you're setting yourselves up for um, for frustration um, because that may not be the case it may take them another few weeks few years 
That's a great point. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you uh, being on the show. I'm gonna. Um, oh, thank you. I, I'm gonna end it with my with my final thought. But I want to. Where, where can folks follow you? Reach you? Find out more about Sharita Humphrey and everything that she's doing and where she's speaking and your your different um, services. You can find me over at SharitaMHumphrey.com. I am. Um, I also have a Facebook group called Money Mindset Movement for people who are willing, who are ready to be able to um, start their own um, financial journeys. Um, again, um, either on my website at SharitaMHumphrey.com. You can reach me over on Facebook. I have a Facebook group called Money Mindset Movement, and I'm at SharitaMH on all social media platforms. That that is awesome, and I'll make sure to include the the website and show notes. So here here here's my takeaway, and I've been doing like in a emotional takeaway or a mindset takeaway and money at the end and and this one not to make it a over religious episode but one of the scriptures in the bible that would like just perplex me and and i struggled with for a long time was this one that said uh, it said keep falsehood and lies far from me give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread otherwise i may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still, so and, and so dishonor the name of my God. And I struggle with that because, you know, obviously I'm in the, I'm, I've wanted to have money for a long period of time um, because I think it's I think it's freedom. And I was like, well, man, like I don't want just enough, right? You know, a that's hard to define, but b, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to be poor, but like I want to be like you know rich, rich, rich. But as I've gone. You know, in money, I realized that, um, you know, there's a your mindset around money. It has to be balanced. Right. It can't just, you know, it can't just be rich because you end focusing on riches because you end up with a society like we're in right now. Right. You got people that just focus on profits, profits only a lot of, you know, like mm-hmm. Americans. We, <laughs> yeah. And Americans, we're like a super low percentage of the population, but we use up a stupid amount of resources. Right. And that's just not. Uh, other countries can't can't do that right and we um and so and so you so you apply that down and say hey listen what what am i really after like what really makes me important it's not maybe it is the cars but how many cars you know what i'm saying like you it challenges you to really think like what do i really want you know what i'm saying like what is what does financial freedom mean to me separate from like pleasing people you know what i'm saying or separate from trying to prove to somebody that that I made it like no what do you really really want and I think people when they dig deep into that they really understand that it's whatever it is it doesn't require that much money right and once you can kind of quantify and clarify that to you I think it makes it easy for you to implement your plan and, and put your money where it needs to be and then it also makes your mindset around money healthy meaning it's not saying you may not be worth 50 million dollars one day the point is, like, don't focus on the money. Like, focus on what you want and then execute because I think if you focus on the money, it can um, at some point take over your mind and make you, like, greedy. Get the mindset right and the money would take care of itself yes. and and, it, and you won't yes. become a slave to money. That's yes. I'm, I'm, your first form of wealth is mindset. Thanks again. Stay safe and healthy out there. We'll, we'll be in Houston sometime in June to go see my parents and get some turkey leg hut, but safely. May, 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 Thank you guys for having me. Uh, my, my pleasure, my pleasure. Enjoy your day. 
If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.